There's no dispute that the rigors and demands of law enforcement causes above average stress on those who wear a badge to protect and serve. But sadly, law enforcement officers continue to lose their lives to suicide or their careers due to maladaptive coping skills. The mental health of law enforcement officers is a high priority in many agencies throughout the state of North Carolina. And of course, the North Carolina Justice Academy is committed to the delivery of training to assist. And one of those courses is the subject of today's podcast episode. We welcome back Paul Phelan, who is a cop, a counselor, and an instructor course developer for the North Carolina Justice Academy based on the West Campus in Edneyville. Joining Paul today and making her debut on NCJA 1014 is Jessica Cook, an instructor developer on our East Campus in beautiful downtown Salemburg. Thank you both for making time to discuss this all-important subject of law enforcement mental health and to talk about a new course on resiliency. Jessica, since it's your debut, we'll let you start off first. I think it's going to be helpful to our listeners that may not be familiar with the topic. Of course, at some point you've heard the word, but let's talk about kind of the textbook meaning as it applies to law enforcement is what is resiliency and what's its relationship to an officer's mental health? Hi, Kirk. Thank you so much for having me and for talking about this very important topic. I would say that resiliency is our ability to bounce back after trauma. Psychologists have defined resiliency as our process of adapting well whenever we're facing adversity or trauma or tragedy, threats, or any type of significant source of stress. But being resilient doesn't mean that a person won't experience difficulty or distress. People who have suffered major adversity or trauma in their lives commonly experience emotional pain and stress, but the road to resiliency is likely to involve considerable emotional distress. So resiliency really is just us taking the bad things that are thrown at us and saying, you know what, I'm not going to allow this to as negatively impact me as it has in the past, or I'm not going to allow this trauma or this terrible thing that I experienced or witnessed or saw control my life. Paul, you've taught a lot of these courses, and I think folks in North Carolina and certainly around the Justice Academy look at you as the foremost authority on dealing with officers who are under stress or maybe having mental health issues or going to full-blown mental health crisis. And I know this is just not one of those things where you wake up in the morning and going back to Jessica's definition, you just don't say, hey, I'm going to be resilient today. So let's talk about the steps that are involved when building those skills to endure the hardships. Sure, and, and Kirk, thank you again for having me. Um, another opportunity to speak on this. Um, it, there are some steps, and, and people can can Google checklists and all kinds of things. But the bottom line is, when it comes to the individual, there's no specific checklist per se. Everybody's different, and everybody can build that resiliency um, in different ways. And and, and not to 
to counteract you and your geniusness. But in in a way, you do wake up in the morning, especially as a law enforcement officer, and and say, I am going to be resilient today. It, uh, mindset is a huge piece of it. And the way you talk to yourself in your mind is is a huge piece of that. But there's the old saying, and I hope I don't offend anybody by saying this, but there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's more than one way to take these steps to be resilient. And if I was to give that advice, first, I would say for an individual, identify what part of you needs resiliency. Is it your physical part? Is it your mental and emotional part? Is it your spiritual part? Is it your family life? What part of you needs that extra piece to build, to bounce back? Um, And so be aware of your thoughts and your emotions. Are they negative thoughts? Are they, is everything negative? Is, Is it a victim mentality or is it a yeah, this is a soup sandwich for me in my life right now, but I am going to absolutely make it through this somehow. I'm not going to give up. And, and which leads me to the next step is what do you tell you yourself about this situation that you're in? And are you looking for the opportunities in a crisis? And one thing we teach in crisis counseling is there are opportunities in crisis. We often can't see them, but they're there. So is this a good thing or is it a bad thing? Do you kind of have the mentality of I make things happen versus things always happen to me? That's part of that victim mentality versus overcomer mentality. And then I would say, secondly, be aware of how you react to that situation. Go with your strengths and develop your weaknesses. What part of this am I strong in? What part am I dealing with this well in? And thrive on that, focus on that and keep going and then address your weaknesses and develop those. How can I make this weakness stronger? And finally, I would say resilience requires some sort of balance in life, your spiritual balance, your core values, your beliefs, your family, your work, all of those things. Take a look, take a step back and look and see if all of those things are balanced, because if you don't have balance in life, your resiliency is going to diminish. So, Kirk, some folks might be wondering, can we train for resiliency? Is this something that we can actually teach ourselves? And what we've learned is that, yes, we can. We can train ourselves to become more resilient. And there was actually a study done in 2009 to test the effects of police trauma resiliency training on stress and performance during critical incident police work. And the findings showed that through training, we can train ourselves to become more resilient. And this research study actually followed the officers for two years later, and some even longer than that. And the officers were still showing resiliency even that long after receiving the training for building up their resiliency. So it's something that we can certainly help our officers with as long as they're given the tools and use the tools. Some other folks might say, hey, is there an example that you can give of a time when you've seen individuals be resilient? And I think we probably all have seen one. We might just not have realized it. Think back to when our country was attacked during 9-11. Each American after 9-11 showed resiliency because we had to rebuild lives after that tragedy. 
So that would be an example that we've all lived through, or the majority of us have lived through, if you want to look back to one. Well, I've always been taught not to assume, and I think someone has told me at one point that that was an acronym for something. We won't go there. But I certainly don't want to assume that a 25-year law enforcement guy has more resilience than a 25-month law enforcement guy or gal. But is that kind of the case? If you're a seasoned veteran, you probably have a little bit more resiliency about you. And if so, take that assumption out of there, what might be some of the tips that that veteran can use to improve on the skills that they already have? Yes, yeah, so for the most part, I think um, in a broad spectrum, yes, a, a more seasoned veteran would have uh, more resiliency uh, than, as we used to call them babies, uh, as a rookie. But there's always exceptions to that. There's always exceptions. If you have someone who has worked for a department that maybe isn't very busy or exposed to quite the same things as as someone else, maybe a, a quote, rookie just spent 10, 15 years in the military and was overseas and experienced those things. So there's always exceptions. But for the most part, generally, yes, they have more resiliency. And if I was to talk to my, and I, I guess I'm getting up there, I'm, July will be 20 years for me in law enforcement. So I guess I'm getting up there as far as, quote, veterans. But if I was to talk to my fellow veterans in law enforcement, I would say mindset is huge. Live by whatever motto or motivator you have, whatever that may be. For me, it it stay in the fight. Never give up. Press on. Um, some others may talk to themselves and, hey, so-and-so, you got this. Uh, so whatever that is, live by that. And then I, I like to get you talking about acronyms, um, an acronym that I use for resiliency is GROW, G-R-O-W. And the first one means ground yourself in the situation. And what that means is write down your ideal outcomes for the situation. How do I want to get through this? Okay, whatever that may be, whether it's I'm experiencing some sort of acute or post-traumatic stress in my life, how do I want this to look, to um, resolve? or whether it's a loss, uh, a separation, or something of that nature, a demotion, whatever the case is, write down your ideal outcome for that situation. And then I would say are or recognize what you can control out of that situation and commit to tackling those one at a time. Any situation there is, and I'm thinking of several people that I've talked to uh, throughout my experience, they often feel like they are out of control, that they have no control of what's going on. And there are some minute things in that situation that they can control. So grab those, recognize those, and tackle those one at a time. And I always say that the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. And sometimes that's a miserable, agonizing bite when you're full. But that's how to do it. So we talk about O- uh, organize the resources you need. This is what I need to help me get through this. And what do I need first? What do I need second? Okay, I've done that. What do I need third? And then the W in that is work with others for support. And when it comes to resiliency, when it comes to crisis, when it comes to traumatic events, support systems go a long way. 
whatever your support system is, whether it's family, whether it's um, a fellow law enforcement officer, whether it's a spouse, whatever your support system is, plug them in and work with them. They go a long way. They will help walk you through whatever it is. So practicing realistic, positive thinking increases our health benefits. There's a lot of health benefits by thinking positive. And I know we talked about that in past uh, podcasts where we tend to talk negatively because we're surrounded by negativity. Every call we go on, negativity somewhere in there. Every traffic stop could be negativity. And then we come to work and all the all the other officers, oh, this is BS and that's foolishness. So it's hard to speak positively, but if you do it and you do it realistically, you increase your health benefits. And when you increase your health benefits, you increase resiliency in your life. So focus on what works. And that would be my suggestion to the veterans. Well, that's a great acronym and and one certainly that's really simple to plug into our data bank of our minds and remember and be able to pull those things up individually. And I was reading something earlier today, and I wish I could remember where it was so I could give the proper attribute, but it speaks to exactly what you're talking about. In crisis, a lot of people have the opportunity to run away. In law enforcement, you have to run right into it. So you really don't have a choice. And and I think, as you say, you, you know, you step out of the car, your mind has to be right to, to get ready to encounter whatever that situation is. Jessica, I want to come back to you. I know that as part of the many things that you are involved in at the Justice Academy, one of the things that you have helped develop is a course called Weathering the Storm. I want to talk about that just a little bit. Actually, I think it would probably be better for you to talk about that a little bit. Tell us about that class. And I know you've had probably two or three sessions already. What were the successes of it? We have had three classes so far. Our goal was for each class to be about 20 students, and we were able to train almost 60 students in total after the three classes were uh, totaled up. The feedback from the classes have been remarkable. Students are reporting that the class really helps them to see ways that they could positively improve their lives. And actually, from the survey results, 100% of the students who completed the survey said that they would recommend the class to others that they worked with. So I'm really excited that we're being able to do something to help those in the Blue family. It's something that I'm very passionate about, and I know that Paul is very passionate about it as well. He actually helped with this program. So it's not a it's not anything that that I created. It's something that was created as a joint effort with um, Paul, myself, Susan Gillis, who also works at the academy. And then we had several others who are still active in the field who are very passionate about the cause and wanted to help out with it as well. So we've had three offerings and we give the students in the class an opportunity to share their stories and what has happened to them. And that can be very cathartic. No one's required to do that, but several people do. And it can be very healing for them and also helpful for others in the class because they realize they're not alone. They're not the only ones who have gone through that type of thing. Um, And it's not wrong that it's affecting them the way it is. So I'm really pleased that it's been responded to so well. 
the class is just the first phase of the program. The, the Weathering the Storm program is actually a three-phase program. So the two-day class, the second part is where we actually have a wellness retreat for uh, the students to go to who attended the two-day class. The North Carolina Victims Assistance Network received a grant from the Governor's Crime Commission, and we are working with the North Carolina Victims Assistance Network on this retreat. And what happens is the students are going to a retreat. We're bringing in um, an internationally known expert on law enforcement trauma and resiliency. And the training is supposed to focus on increasing our officers' resiliency. So that's the whole point of the retreat. Richard Gorling ran the retreat that we had the first week of May. And in that opportunity, students were able to learn ways that they could truly bounce back after trauma. Thanks to the Governor's Crime Commission, the participants of the retreat did not have to pay for room or board. So all they had to do was uh, find their way to the retreat center. And that was the only expense that they incurred from it, thanks to the Governor's Crime Commission and for giving that grant or awarding that grant to the North Carolina Victims Assistance Network. And then the third phase of the Weathering the Storm program is where we're going to use the funding that's left from the grant to actually work with the federal government and a few police agencies. And what will happen is we'll be using the OVC toolkit to help the police departments and sheriff's offices that are selected to help them so that they can ensure that their officers receive the best training that they can so that they can receive peer support training and things like that to, to ensure that there's folks on hand if a tragedy happens that can help immediately instead of um, having to wait for when some folks can get there. So let me kind of push this thing into a little bit more narrow pipe. When when we talk about weathering the storm, it almost makes us feel like, well, something has happened to me and I need to go to this class to get some assistance. Is, is that the case? Or maybe in a more broader question, who, who could join a class like weathering the storm? Who needs to be in there? So we opened the class up to any criminal justice professional. So we really wanted our target audience to include law enforcement. We wanted our audience to include corrections officers, probation parole officers, telecommunicators, anybody that's a CJ professional. And the reason we wanted to do that is we wanted to have not just geared towards one specific branch of the criminal justice profession. We can kind of all heal together. And that was the goal is allowing us to heal together. So anyone in the criminal justice profession can take the class. The vast majority of folks who have signed up have been law enforcement. Um, we have had several telecommunicators come, and we did have a couple probation parole officers in attendance. We haven't had any correctional officers attend the course yet, but I'm hoping that we will the next time we have one of the classes. And we've actually, based off the three classes we've had, we've actually already received requests from two different conferences to uh, attend the conference to teach a shortened version of the class to the entire conference. And also, we've received a request from some peer support teams to come do the training for them as well. So I'm, I'm really thankful that it's been able to be received so well and that it's helping so many people. Well, obviously, one of the primary roles of the North Carolina Justice Academy is to deliver cutting edge training and do it right. 
and it sounds like this is one of those courses. So it's an opportunity here for me to push the podcast pod button, put it on pause for just a moment and go to uh, a commercial. Will there be other sessions and who might people contact in order to be part of it if there are? Yes, Kurt, we do plan on having other sessions. Based off scheduling and everything, it looks like we're going to be able to have two more this year. We don't know the dates for those yet, but here's some exciting news. We also plan to have a retreat in the fall, so we're not sure of the dates yet, but if anyone has any questions about it, then they are welcome to contact me. My email address is jbullock, B-U-L-L-O-C-K, at ncdoj.gov. And um, all they need to do is just send me an email and I'll be happy to get them any information that we have at the time. They can also check a CADIS to see when those new classes are posted. I'm not sure when they'll be yet, but we do plan to have two more before the year's over. And I'm sure we will add your email address into the show notes that will accompany this podcast. So if you didn't pick that up right away, don't feel like you have to push the pause button and rewind to get Jessica's email address. We'll make sure that 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 happens for you. Paul, I'd like to get back into the business of the bigger picture of resiliency. What can happen to an officer or as Jessica has kind of opened the door and broadened it for me just a little bit. It's not just about law enforcement officers. It really is more about first responders. So what can happen to a first responder if they don't take the time to care for their mental health by building up their resiliency that we've been talking about? Well, and that's right, uh, Kurt. <clears throat> it, telecommunicators and corrections officers, probation and parole, uh, sometimes, unfortunately, they're often overlooked, um, yet they're the ones suffering the most. Uh, so it's important we don't forget them. I, I did about a month and a half as a dispatcher when I was out with, a, with an injury, and I could not do it. So I, I have nothing but respect for the work that they do. Uh, and so when we talk about what doesn't happen, you know, when we have that mentality of, oh, I can handle it or the stigma, whatever it is that's stopping people from building their resiliency, the stress of the job. And we've talked about the, the superhuman expectations that we have as, as law enforcement officers or criminal justice professionals. The stress of the job will lead to burnout and burnout leads to a decrease in work performance probably an increase in complaints, the decrease in performance at home, probably some complaints from the other half as well. We start looking at citizen complaints and increase in that, short tempers with people and cussing them out. Um, other issues, uniform not looking good, uh, your vehicle not taking pride in what it looks like, your reports not looking good, um, distractions. And those can lead to issues at home as well, as I said. You know, kind of, we talked a lot about isolation in the last podcast. You start isolating yourself when your resiliency isn't built. You start checking out, so to speak, from the family. And so when I say that not building up your resiliency could lead to death, I don't, I'm not being dramatic there. It could lead to the death of a lot of things that you once were. But ultimately, if untreated and undealt with, it could lead to career suicide or personal, uh, actual a person taking their life. Gosh, I don't really know how to, to frame this question. And I'm going to refer back to the po- previous podcast that we did on isolationism. As cops, and I'm going to say, I'm going to throw our gender under the bus, as male cops, 
we have this kind of, I think, built-in stigma about doing things in a non-traditional manner. Cops are not supposed to go see counselors. Cops are supposed to deal with whatever is thrown at them for 12 hours and not have any type of post-discussion other than turning it into a war story. That's just really not the proper way to deal with things. I think that's the way we've always done it. But as the old saying goes, if you always do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you've always gotten. What is it that that we can say that will drive that male ego that is so resilient against getting help to go and at least have a conversation? Well, I, I think um, I'll be a little candid on it. There, there's nothing wrong with the war stories and the dark sense of humor. Trust me, I have my own. Um, and those things are there to save face. You know, we're all we're all for the most part alpha males in this profession. So there's nothing wrong with those things, but it it can't stop there. When you're when you're going to roll call and you're joking and laughing off the traumatic event and act like it doesn't bother you, but then you go sit in your car alone and it it does bother you or it wakes you up at night. I think the biggest thing I'd say, and I'll say this as I say this as more of a, a former SWAT operator than than an instructor at this point, but I challenge you to do different. Anybody can sit there and say, oh, I don't need help. Um, but it takes a stronger man to say, yeah, no, I'm, I'm hurting and I need some help. We have this big mentality in law enforcement, especially in the SWAT world and the tactical world, that we never fight alone. We never leave our partners behind. So, so why are you doing that? Why are you fighting alone on this? Why are you making us leave you behind? on this let's let's walk through this together with each other and and i'm just going to share this very quickly to hopefully drive home a point i'm not a warm and fuzzy kumbaya kind of counselor i got in this because i saw three different people that were very close to me in my career take their life and i got tired of that tired of doing nothing on it so it's 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 more than just warm and fuzzy and holding hands and kumbaya it is a passion of and and by the way two of those three were SWAT operators so if you think you can handle it there it's okay not to be okay it's okay to reach out and ask for help and that's i i guess that's my plea kurt to, to answer your question on that and you did it very well as you always do i'm gonna change gears and kind of pump the air brakes on you for just a moment um I think we're still in the in the same arena as I head to this question, but uh, recently saw a release from the North Carolina Attorney General Josh Stein, who has submitted a letter to Congress, along with some other AGs, in urging Congress to pass an act aimed at addressing gaps for public safety officers who suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, as we commonly hear it called. Now, this legislation designates work-related PTSD as a line-of-duty injury for eligible officers or those disabled from attempted suicide and allows families of officers who die by trauma-linked suicide to apply for death benefits. Is it safe to, once again, I'm going to pull that word out, assume that development of resiliency skills could be a preventive step 
to combat PTSD so that we never have to have this discussion? First of all, I would say uh, thank you to the Attorney General for joining that force there and that support. I know uh, states like my home state in Florida, Northeast Florida, has taken that rain on a few years ago, um, and it's a very important measure. The question is, will that um, will resiliency taking those steps prevent PTSD? And I don't know that it will prevent it per se. Um, and, and I'll try not to get too much into the tall grass here. <clears throat> when we talk about post-traumatic stress or acute stress, essentially what happens to your brain during a traumatic event is all of the chemicals that are right now flowing evenly through your body, telling your hand to move, your mouth to talk, whatever it is is telling your body to do, nice and evenly right now. When a traumatic event happens, all of that flows out at one time to the point that it backs up into your brain. It almost stops up like a sink or a toilet. So so to answer your question and, and put it in a very short perspective, no, it doesn't necessarily prevent post-traumatic stress. However, it can reduce the severity of it and also assist the person in dealing with those symptoms of post-traumatic stress. And, and when, when somebody says, oh, I have PTSD, that is not necessarily a death sentence. It doesn't mean that you're crazy. There are a lot of people who, who have a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder that are fine. And they they are able to deal with it and overcome it. So the short answer to the question, I don't know that it prevents it as much as it would help uh, build and, and protect against the severity of those things that, that come with post-traumatic stress. Well, Paul and Jessica, our, our time is quickly winding down. And Paul, you referred to our previous podcast on isolationism and now, obviously, we've spent time today talking about resiliency. Is there anything that you want to say, Jessica? I'll start with you. I would just like to encourage everyone to, if you feel like you are in a dark place or if you ever feel like you need help, please ask for it. There are so many people who care about the criminal justice family and want everyone to succeed. And we've got to stop being so concerned about what strangers think, so much so that we're willing to throw away our families and our careers and our very own lives because we're worried about the stigma of what other people think about us asking for help. You are not weak because you ask for help. In fact, you are strong. So please don't let anyone think differently than that. There's so many resources out there to help folks. NC Leap is one that is a fantastic resource. We'd love to have you come to the Weathering the Storm program. We will give you resources there as well. But please don't think that your life is not of value because it certainly is. Gosh, how do I how do I follow up with that? That was um, absolutely on point and, and well said. And if I could just echo all of that, I would. Um, let me just encourage you, make positive thinking a habit. Now, I know that sounds kumbaya, but make positive thinking a habit. Find your purpose in life and live for it. And, you, and, and some people may say, well, being a cop is my purpose. Well, that's great, but you can have more than one purpose. So find that purpose and live for it. Whether it's your, your purpose may be law enforcement, but it's also your daughter or your son 
or your wife or serving your community. And as always, I always like to finish by saying stay in the fight, never give up and never fight alone. You can reach out to me. I will absolutely not judge you for needing help. There will be no kind of judgment on that, regardless of what it is. In fact, we can probably compare notes. So stay in the fight, never give up and never fight alone. And thank you, Kirk. Sure. You know, there have been some great discussions in this podcast, but Paul, I think you kind of really hit that one key word is about judgment. And it's a new day. A, a lot of things have changed. And as I said at the onset, more and more focus is being given to mental health of first responders. Because as I said earlier, again, they don't run away from crisis. They run into it. So taking that judgment out of it is a big hurdle for a lot of guys. While we continue to hurt and miss those who have left us prematurely, the spotlight shines on taking preventive measures. And as you've heard in this episode, building up resiliency is one of those. So in addition to the awesome information that has been shared by our resident professionals, Paul Phelan and Jessica Cook, links have been provided as part of our podcast notes to bring additional information to you. And remember, recognizing the signs of mental illness or crisis are critical. So to our listeners, please be vigilant of the signs, especially of yourself or others, because those beginning stages are the most important ones, whether it be just a little edginess or in full-blown mental crisis. Don't be afraid to do something for yourself. And while you may not feel qualified to intervene, there are plenty of folks who are. We've talked to two of them today. It begins with involvement. On behalf of the North Carolina Justice Academy, I'm your host, Kirk Puckett. And until next time, please stay safe. NCJA 1014.